Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in week three of Creed, a series on theology. Today, Heather is speaking on the topic of the Trinity. We are also launching small groups next Sunday, March 28th, so check out the podcast description to sign up. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. All right. You guys ready to learn some theology tonight? Y'all, I was like, how many of you were here last week? I mean, I can't even express to you my level of FOMO. I can't even express it to you. And I, I, did, I thought I wasn't going to struggle because I wasn't here last week if you weren't here and you don't know that. I, I, I had taken the day off because it was my husband and I's 21st wedding anniversary. So I'm like, heck yeah, man, I'm taking the day off. We're going to celebrate our anniversary. And then Jeff got COVID. And I don't mean like mildly, like it took him out. And honestly, y'all, nothing is sexier on an anniversary than a man that is hacking up phlegm, let me just tell you. And so uh, that's what I was doing last week. I was like doing nothing, texting like 10 of you in here, asking what was, what's going on, tell me what's going on. Like texting Trevor and I, Trevor, just let me FaceTime for like two minutes, just two minutes, come on. Um, like so much FOMO. So I am so glad to be here. Y'all look so good. You look good tonight. Do you feel like you look good? Leanne, Leanne's like, I look good, I know. Um, We have talked about essentials of Christianity. We're doing this series because you need to know if you are a Christian, really what you've signed up for. (laughs) And if you're not a believer yet and you're wrestling down faith and you're trying to decide whether this thing is for you and you're just not quite sure what you think of God yet, you should know what it's about. And there are essentials. We talked about that the first week. I had these three buckets. We talked about there are essentials to the Christian faith. Like, you got to believe these things or you literally can't call yourself a Christian. Like, it's just, you have, like, it is what it is. You have to believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and came to save us, like that is an essential. And what has happened, not just in the world, but also inside of Christianity is there are some teachers and places that are trying to even take that and put it in a non-essentials bucket. Like, oh, you can believe it or not, you can decide what you think or not, but it doesn't, it's not required to be a Christian. And I'm here to tell you, and we're here to talk about, that's not true. There are essentials to the Christian faith. And the world and the church is so polarized today, fighting over so many things. Oh, my goodness. You don't talk about race enough. You talk about, you know, race too much. You don't talk about women in leadership enough. You talk about it too much. Well, I don't agree with this, but I do agree with this. Well, I don't think you can be a Christian and be a Democrat. Well, I don't think you can be a Christian and be a Republican. I mean, like, insanity online and on social media and in church, and we have to come to grips with, dang it, what is true? Like, what is true? What are the things I should be tethered to so that I am unshaken when things go awry in the world or things go askew or things blow up or things don't go as I plan in my life? What am I tethered to? The reason it's called creed is because the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. That's what it means. A creed, I believe. 
And there is probably one of the most famous creeds called the Apostles' Creed that has been in existence in 140 AD. So about 100 years after Jesus went back to heaven, this creed was in a little bit of a different form, but essentially the same, written down. And it's because Christians at the time were under intense persecution. Well, we know this. Christ himself had just been killed. All of the disciples were, you know, running for their lives often, and Christians were being killed in the Colosseum, all these kinds of things by emperors. And so they created these statements affirming what, as a Christian, you believe in what you're signing up for. Because you should know. Because right now, it could cost you your life. So they wrote this down. So I'm going to read it to you as I did the first week. And it goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Y'all, that's a crazy statement, isn't it not? Just honestly. If you're just like a human being that has no experience with the church, no experience with faith, no experience with the Bible, and we're saying, hey, so this baby, Christ, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. That just sounds a little kooky, don't you think? But we believe it. And we'll get into why. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. By the way, that's not referring to the Catholic Church as we think of it, like the Catholic Church with the Pope. The word Catholic actually means universal, like global. So it just is referring to the global church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That's a lot. There's a lot of stuff inside of that. But those are the essentials. Those are the things that are true of Christianity. And so we're spending this series unpacking that. We've talked about salvation the first week. Last week, Steve Walton talked about sanctification. This week, we're going to tackle something. I mean, we're going big. You ready? All right. Write it down. The Trinity. The Trinity. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. We're going to talk about it. The Trinity. You've heard of the Trinity. Um, You may not have heard of it using that word, but you've heard of it. The Trinity is the term we give to the collective Godhead of the Father, the Son, and what? Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, that word in and of itself is actually not found in the Bible. You cannot open your Bible and anywhere on any page read the word Trinity. However, it's true. Because while the word Trinity isn't in there, the truth of the Trinity is in there. And that is a word we have ascribed to that truth. Let me prove that to you. I'm just going to give you one of many verses. The first one is this, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, let us, this is the creation account, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God says, let us us make mankind 
in our image. Clearly, here's the English teacher in me coming out. It's a plural pronoun, correct? Our, us. It's not saying, hey, I'm going to make man and woman in my image. It's our. Referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A term given to the truth of three existing in one, one existing in three. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this is what, this is what it is. It's the three persons of the Godhead that exist in this like ever-flowing relationship. One between the other, one amongst the other. Separate, yet one. One, yet separate. There have been all kinds of metaphors a long time that people try and use to communicate this. I've seen people take an apple and say, it's kind of like the seeds and then the flesh and then the skin of an apple, you know? Three parts make one. I've seen people do an egg. You know, you have the yolk, and then you have the white of the egg, and then you have the shell. I've seen people, no, 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 that's not right, because it really has to be like three of the same kinds of things. And I've seen people do, it's like ice, water, and fog. You know, I've seen all kinds of metaphors used to try and take this thing that is like, what? And wrap our minds around it. Like, how does this really work? Well, There's a quote by a man named A.W. Tozer, who's a great theologian. And it says, a church will only be as great as its conception of God. A church will only be as great as its conception of God. No church will experience the true favor of God, the breath of life of God, without a real understanding of who God is, and a submission and a surrender to that, to his awesomeness and his power. So here's the thing. So what's in it for you? Because I really, you know, Whenever you hear a message and you hear talk about this, it's like, well, what's in it for me? Why, why is it a big deal that I know about the Trinity? Let me, t- let me tell you. I'm going to give you a few reasons. Then we're going to talk some more. And then I'm going to give you a few more reasons. Here's the first few reasons. What's in it for you is that your knowledge of the Trinity makes you better at telling other people about Jesus. It makes you better at living a life like Jesus. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was in submission to the Father. To live like Jesus, you have to understand how Jesus lived, and you can't understand how Jesus lived unless you really understand how the Trinity functions. So when you're telling people about Jesus or you're evangelizing, which is the word we use when you're telling people about faith or you're introducing them to Jesus, you are better at that and more attuned to how to do it and how to answer questions when you understand why you believe what you believe. Or if you really believe what you're saying you believe. Another reason that it's important is, and I was talking to another group of 20-somethings this morning, and I was talking to them about the importance of being educated in theology as a Christian. 
probably 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there were some assumptions we could make of people in culture. 20 years ago, you could probably say the name Moses or Noah, and people might recognize it even if they didn't know the stories. Even if they, probably because they watched the movies, right? Um, now, we can make no assumptions. No assumptions that really any of us know anything. And being educated, not just in the grace that you received when you became a believer, but being educated in knowing how to answer the questions of the people that come to you, how to live out a transformed life is critical. And you can't do that if you don't dive deep into being discipled and understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Another reason that theology is important is because it is what promotes unity in the church. The reason there's so much disunity is nobody has any idea why they believe what they believe. And so whoever has the loudest voice, they just ascribe to that. Whoever's the most charismatic, dynamic speaker on the internet, well, then what they're saying must be true because when I listen to them, it moves my emotions. It must be true. So there's so much going on out there, and if you don't know really what you believe, you can't sift truth from lie. You just can't do it. If you don't know, well, gosh, they really moved my heart, so I kind of want to lean here. But, you know, something feels off, yet I'm going to go with it. So many voices coming at you all, telling you what you should think, telling you what you should believe, telling you how you should feel about things, and you have got to decide for yourself. You have got to know some things so that you can then decide how you're going to move forward in them. And here's what I think is also really important in knowing our theology. It anchors us to 2,000 years plus of a Christian heritage. Heroes of the faith. People that have endured and been tested and been tried and come out stronger and better on the other side. People that one day we will see in heaven if you are a follower of Jesus. And we get to learn about them. We get to pick up our Bibles and read about over, just in the New Testament, New Testament forward is 2,000 years. Old Testament is thousands of years before that. And we get to read all of that history. We get to have all that knowledge. Knowledge turns to wisdom. Y'all, that's some freedom. I mean, that's some freedom. Lack of knowledge, which takes you into confusion, that's imprisonment. You can't make a decision. You don't know what to do. What would God say? You have no idea. Knowledge moves to wisdom, which is just applying knowledge. That's freedom. That's freedom. And it's only the arrogant. It's only the arrogant. Or the completely ignorant. That would say, I don't need that. I don't need no education in theology. Okay. Go with God. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that. In all of the world with all of the voices. So those are a few reasons this is important. And then we're going to get to some real, real personal reasons at the end.
but let's get started into the Trinity. Let's talk about the Father. Ready? The Father. The Father in heaven. Now, before we get into all of the head knowledge of it, I just have a different question. Let's imagine, if you will, just imagine that into the room, come barreling through the doors, comes an 800-pound gorilla. Just imagine. Go with me on this, okay? Like an 800-pound gorilla throws the doors open and just starts, like, hurling itself through the room. Now, if the 800-pound gorilla decides that it needs to sit down, what, where does it sit? What seat does an 800-pound gorilla take in this room? Anyone, anyone want to take a guess? What, where does an 800-pound gorilla sit? The ground? The stage? Correct. Say that really loud. Anywhere it wants. Right? Anywhere it wants to sit. If you're sitting in a seat and it wants that seat, guess where you're going? Up out of that seat. If there's an 800-pound gorilla, it gets to decide where it's going to go, what it's going to do, who's going to get out of its way. The, the dominating, uncontrollable amount of strength and power that is behind it means that it gets to choose to do whatever it wants to do, yes? While the metaphor has some limitations, what I want you to understand is that the father is uh, uncontrollable, filled with power. He could take any seat he wants. He could take out anybody he wants. And he has. The father is like, whatever you imagine as like the most powerful thing in all of make-believe or in all of the world or in any movie you've ever seen or in any possible dream you've ever had, he is so far beyond. Let me read you a passage from the book of Isaiah. So this is in the Old Testament, Isaiah. If you go to the middle and head right, you'll hit it. Isaiah 40. So the prophet is saying this, the prophet named Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 15. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Isaiah is being sarcastic. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as if they were fine dust. And then verse 25 in that same chapter says, To whom will you compare me? 
Who is my equal, says the Holy One. Y'all, God is awesome, really huge, and can do whatever he wants. And you need to know that. God is uncontrollable. I don't mean he's out of control. I mean, we can't control him. We don't get to tell God where to sit. We don't get to say to the Father, hey, here's what you can do. Hey, let me, now we try. Lord, let me give you some counsel. Hey, Heavenly Father, here's what I really think you should do with my life. Hey, hey, Father, I really, really think this is how you should manage the situation in the world. We try. We cannot control the Father. He is a mighty Father. Get this. The Bible tells us that he called the stars out by name. Let me tell you, the sun is 92 million miles away. Y'all, the sun is 92 million miles away. Just, I mean, 92 million miles away, yet it is the closest star to us, so close that you could often feel the sun's warmth, and the sun is not even big compared to other stars. There's a star called Betelgeuse. Do y'all know this? A star called Betelgeuse that is 700 times the size of the sun. The stars, there are stars so big, they could fit out the entire solar system that we exist in inside of that one star. And then what we just read says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. So all of those millions of miles, and here's Jesus' hand. One, two, three, four. He measures the millions of miles with his hands. He is that big. He is that magnanimous. <coughs> he is that powerful. His yardstick is his pinky. He is God. Nobody else is in that weight class. Nobody. Nobody. No one. It is honestly a flippant, heretical joke to speak of God as anything other than a mighty creator. Because he is mighty. Creator of heaven and earth. Omnipotent, omniscient. That means all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Understand, everything we have is because of him. Everything that draws breath that exists is because he allows it. When we worship, like we just did, we worship to bless the Father. It is an incorrect filter to think that we come into worship to bless, to be blessed. Not that it doesn't bless us. Absolutely, it does end up blessing us, but that is a side product because what it actually is supposed to do is bless the Father. We should come into worship like, oh my goodness, I get to be in the presence of the Creator. 
I have been invited into, I have total access to, I can approach the throne with boldness and grace, which is what the scripture says. I get to do that in this moment. Oh my goodness, you are my champion. Almighty God, I am in awe of you. The Bible speaks all throughout Psalms and Proverbs of having a healthy fear of God. It's not a fear like, a, oh no, what are you going to do to me? It's an awareness that he is your maker. An awareness that he is your creator. An awareness that he is, what hold, he is who holds everything in his hands. I think we like his grace. I don't know that we like... I don't know that we like to sit in the power of God and what that could mean for our lives. I think we would straighten up. That's what I think. I think we'd straighten up. I think if we saw Jesus walk in the room, we'd go, okay, okay. Clean up my language. <laughs> I would, but that's just that's what we do. It takes faith to believe this stuff. It takes faith. But you know what? Even if you don't believe this stuff, you're still exercising faith. It takes faith to not believe. You're choosing not to believe. And it takes faith to believe. Either way, either way you're believing in God or you're not believing in God, but either way you're choosing. You've got to either believe there's intelligent design and God created the heavens and the earth, or you've got to believe that nothing created something in a big bang or over, the, over millions and millions of years. Either way, you're choosing to believe something, right? Either way. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. The universe was formed at what? He's so powerful. He spoke it. He spoke it into existence. Hey, man, boom. Hey, deer, there it is. Tiger, there you go. Spoke it into existence. Mountain ranges, oceans, universes, boom. Hey, I would like this. There it was. The power of his words which, by the way, he says our words have the power of life and death. Wouldn't we change our words if we understood they actually had power? There is overwhelming evidence I don't have time to get into today. I mean physical, scientific evidence that builds a case that God created this world and created you. Like actual archaeological evidence, if that's something you need. However, you'll still have to believe by faith. So the father is a mighty father. The father is also a merciful father. And this is like the awesomeness of the father. Because everything I'm saying, you're like, okay, that sounds really scary. But great, we get it. Okay, he's also a merciful father. He is mighty, but he is merciful. Matthew chapter 10 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
God cares about the birds enough that he knows every single one of them, and yet he knows the number of hairs on your head because he knows you intimately and deeply, and he loves you. He loves you. In the Bible, when the disciples said, hey, Jesus, how then should we pray? And Jesus says, here's how you pray. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Other translations, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That word Father, originally translated, is an informal word, which you could translate into dad. He's our heavenly dad. And for the many of you that had an earthly father that was a very poor representation of what a father should be, it can be very hard to imagine. But I'll bet you have imagined it. I'll bet you have imagined what a perfect dad would be. I'll bet you've thought, I wish my dad were this. I wish my dad would do this. You have a heavenly father who was all of that and more. Who will never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you, never condemn you. Who will always show up. Who will love you in spite of your faults. Who as a mighty creator made you out of love and cares for you in his mercy, a merciful father. He loved you so much, he came after you to adopt you. He sent his son after you. When we sing that song, Reckless Love, that says he came after us, like literally he did. He literally came after us in the brokenness of the world to send his son. If you're with Jesus, you're in. The father isn't stuck with you. He chose you. He sent his son for you. And remember when I said the mighty father gets to do whatever the heck he wants to do? He does what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is come after you. He wants you. Because he loves you. The father. Let's talk about the son. The son. There are three things I want to tell you about the son, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about his identity, his ancestry, and his supremacy. Identity, ancestry, supremacy. Jesus Christ, Jesus was actually a really, let's talk about his identity, was actually a really common name. It's sort of like, you know, um, if you went around like... today and had like the number one most given name of a baby and that's what like Jesus was like he would have had friends named Jesus isn't that weird to think about it's true he would have friends probably named Jesus Jesus was his name Christ was his title Jesus the Christ Christ means shining one or anointed one He was the anointed one, the light unto the world. He was the plan to fix what had been broken. And Jesus Christ, it is his name that is the staple of the Christian faith. It's what makes us unique. What makes Christianity different? Jesus. That's 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 the difference. Jesus Christ makes it different. And someday, 
He's coming back for us. Yes, he is. He will break through the clouds, not into a manger, not as a baby, but as a king on a stallion. And guess who he's coming back for? He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for believers, for people who claim to follow him, for people who have given their life to him, to go and finally be perfectly restored and reconciled unto the Father forever in heaven. Yes and amen. He's coming back. Here's just a couple things that he's called in scripture that are just my favorite. Do you know Jesus is called a snake crusher? Love this one. In Genesis, after the whole debacle with the fruit, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, everything goes awry, here we are, death and destruction. And it says that um, the snake, meaning Satan, will be crushed by the heel of the one that will come to save them. Jesus was a snake crusher. That's good, y'all. I love that about him. I like to imagine Jesus the snake crusher. But he was also a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. All powerful, all humble. He was a savior, our savior. He came for us. Yet, in his name, millions of people all around the world worship. Simultaneously, millions of people around the world curse his name and use his name as if it is a word to be thrown out there in a derogatory way. So you do know one of the Ten Commandments is don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know that? If you don't, I'm telling you. One of the Ten Commandments. When God went, what are the ten most important things, Moses? You should tell my people, here's one of the ten. Tell them to stop using my name like a curse word. Do that. Honestly, I would rather hear the worst, like the lowest tier of cuss words. You know, the big ones, the big daddies, the big ones. Then hear people say, oh my God. Jesus Christ. It sounds weird for you to even hear it coming out of my mouth, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you kind of go, ooh. This is the name that can move mountains. This is the name that descended to hell and came back from the dead for us. This is not a name that we use as a swear word. I don't even like it when I see OMG online because I just think what have we lost our, our minds have we lost our complete like awareness of who we're talking about I see pastors online and on the internet like preaching doing this I'm like how are they getting away with that <laughs> how's no one how is no one is someone talking to them about this like It's Jesus. It's Jesus. His identity. Then his ancestry. His ancestry is that he's son of God and son of man. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Born of a virgin Mary. By the way, incidentally, Mary is someone that deserves our respect, but we do not worship Mary. I think Mary uh, probably 
um, would be embarrassed and humiliated by seeing the worship that is given to her on this planet. She's not a deity. She's not divine. Now, she used to be respected. Heck, yeah, she's a virgin that had a baby. For sure. Mad respect. She was likely 14 years old or ish. You kidding me? Riding on a donkey? Heck no. Sleeping in like the stable with a bunch of animals, giving birth to the Messiah? Are you joking? So she deserves mad respect. But not our worship. Son of God, son of man. He was fully God and fully man. This is a word called incarnation. The incarnate Christ. Fully God, fully man. It means that he surrendered his authority to the Father, came to the earth, put skin on. Can you imagine how confining that must have been? How confining it must have been to Jesus to have to put skin on and go, this is horrible. How like, but he did it. And why did he do it? Because he loves us and he came to save us. He surrendered his freedoms and authority. Anything on earth he did in submission to the Father. And he says it repeatedly. Everything I do, everything I say is because I submit to the Father. He taught us how to do it. In fact, even if you don't believe in Jesus as Lord, you have to at least believe that Jesus is someone who changed the world. You have to at least be able to look back and go, oh my goodness, this is at least a figure in history that absolutely altered the entire state of history for all of mankind, regardless of what you believe. What I love about it is God did not save us from a distance. He didn't stand back and like save humanity from far away. He moved close. He sent Jesus and got close to save us. And then his supremacy. Jesus Christ, in order for you to be a Christian, must be supreme in your life and be Lord. Be Lord of your life. He was put to death because of who he said he was. In John 19, 7, it says the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. He died because of who he was. In the days of person, have you guys ever seen this before? I'm sure you have. Like this fish symbol, the ichthus. See it on people's cars, or you see it on a necklace, or a bumper sticker, or things like that. This is not just some like, you know, weird Christian bookstore kind of deal. Let me tell you where this started. So in the early church, where Christians were being killed, the disciples were being chased down with their lives being threatened. So Christians were trying to find a way to be able to identify each other and know who is a believer so that they didn't feel so alone. And so what they would do is if they were in a conversation with someone, they would just very nonchalantly like uh, take their foot and just draw like half the fish, just go like this in the dirt. 
And if nothing happened from there, they would know the person on the other side of them was not a believer. But if they were, as they were talking, they would reach over and they would draw the other half. And it would form this. And then they would take their foot and they would erase it from the dirt. And it was this way for them to connect with each other, a way for them to communicate with each other out of fear of persecution, out of fear of losing their life. There's history in this stuff. We're gonna spend the entire week next week talking about the Holy Spirit, so I'm not gonna get into that tonight. But what we have in the Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let me tell you why this really should matter to you. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. There are three things. Number one, heresy. Number two, holiness. And number three, hope. This is a big deal Anyone, any teacher, anywhere you go that claims that any of this is not true, that's called heresy. Anyone who tells you, you don't need Jesus to get to God, that's heresy. Anyone that tells you all religions worship the same God, that's heresy. the reason, one of the primary reasons that the Islamic faith does not like Christianity is because they claim that Christianity is a religion of many gods because we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit, which is not true. We believe in one God. We believe in the Trinity. You have to know that truth. To separate truth from lie. That Jesus is the only way. And what happens in today is people put the pronoun my or our in front of the word truth. Well, my truth is, well, our truth is, or well, maybe that's your truth. Every time you put your or my in front of the word truth, it diminishes it. It just does. Because what sounds more powerful, my truth or God's truth? God's truth. Holiness. The son showed us how to live a holy life. Showed us what it should look like. And hope. If you don't follow Jesus, if Jesus, if, if you're still sitting on that line as to whether you turn your life over to this, this truth is your only hope of love, joy, and peace in this life and of heaven in the next life. Because mind, body, soul. You are three in one, one in three. You are mind made in the image of the Father, the architect. You are body made in the image of the incarnate Jesus. You are soul made in the image of Holy Spirit. You are one in three, three in one. That's why when you take this part and you go out here and you live inside of sin, 
you live inside of sexual immorality or whatever, you end up feeling like a fractured person because you have broken a part of yourself to bring it out here, out of alignment with what you were intended to do. You cannot separate any part of yourself from the rest of yourself and be a whole person. You cannot. You cannot go, well, I'm gonna be a spiritual person on Sunday and I'm gonna be obedient on that day and I'm gonna be obedient in these things but I'm not gonna be obedient in these particular things. You are a fractured human being. If you wanna be a whole human being, mind, body, and soul, made in the image, as God said, in their image, your mind, body, and soul must be in alignment with him, in surrender to him. You are three in one, one in three. We have so many broken individuals walking around because you think that you can separate one of these out and you cannot. It's not even possible. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Either he lied about it all, or he was a crazy person, or you know what? It's all true. He is Lord. So wherever you are at with Jesus, wherever you are at with the Father, wherever you are at with the Spirit, which we'll get into next week, This is the essential and essential of what it means to be a Christian is the Trinity. When we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it's not just because we're trying to come up with some cute Christian thing to say. We're saying by the power of the full Godhead, the old is gone and the new is here. By the power of the Father, Son and the Spirit. All three. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Father, we come to you and you are mighty and you are good. You are creator. You hold the world in your hands. You foresaw us. You foreknew us. You knew of our existence before we were ever born. You have dreams. You have plans for us. Jesus, you came after us in a fury of love. In a fury of love. You abandoned everything perfect, everything good to come here where everything is imperfect and not good. And you took on our temptations and you took on our sins and you took on our weight and you took on our cares and you took on our burdens so that we might live in freedom. And Holy Spirit, the feminine, the feminine part of the Trinity, the comforter, the nurturer, 
the strengthener, the advisor, the instructor, the clarifier, the empowerer, purifier. Both fire and breath, both wind and power. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being present here with us tonight. And God, I ask that you would make yourself so very real to people, that you would make yourself so very tangibly real, and that there might be an element of the truth that was shared tonight that would so deeply resonate in a person's heart that it would change them. Maybe they've been operating out of alignment and they've tried to extract a part of themselves and they're not living as three in one, one in three. They're not living as though they're made in the image of God. They're living fractured and broken lives and you wanna heal that and restore that today. You are God and we worship you. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. Next week, Heather will be back with us to continue our series on theology for a whole week on the Holy Spirit. We were built for community. And like I said at the top of the podcast, we are launching small groups next Sunday. So definitely you should sign up. You can either text C12 to 37748 or you can just go to the podcast description and click the link there and you can get more information on our Instagram account. If you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about College of 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope you have a great rest of the week and hope that you join us next week.